Hi, I'm Rochelle Gray. Over the past 20 years, I have struggled with the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder, but now I think it's time for a change. Join me in my journey of discovery as I find ways to manage the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual symptoms of depression. You know, we all need someone who understands what we're going through. So I'm here reaching out to you, and I hope you'll follow along as I learn about the causes, the symptoms, and the treatments available for SAD. Get ready to learn something new and maybe even see yourself in a whole new light. Hi there. How have you been? I hope you've had a great week. I hope you've been taking care of yourself. I hope you've been making sure you're staying positive and focusing on the good things in your life. Since it is a new year now, I thought that I would introduce myself to you on a more intimate level. So I am going to tell you my story. It was a dark and stormy night. No, just kidding. (laughs) I was born into a military family, so we moved a lot. In the early 70s, military people didn't spend more than two years on any spot. And we spent a lot of time mostly on small bases all across Canada. Most of them that don't exist anymore. They've decided that it's better to have people live in a certain spot and at least the families not transfer around so much. So it wasn't until I hit grade five that we moved to the spot where my mother is still living at the current time. And we're talking like 40 years ago, maybe more. So the problem with that for me was moving in after the school year had already started. Up until then, I'd never really experienced bullying or hatred of any kind. So arriving at school in a class of 30 kids, me with braces and being overweight and glasses, I was automatically a target for the more aggressive kids. I remember going to the outdoor pool in the summertime and having my head held underwater being called a beluga when I was on the diving board, having my glasses broken I don't know how many times. And it wasn't boys, it was girls too, hiding in the woods, beating me up when I came home from school. I honestly do not know why I was such a target. I was just a quiet, shy girl who knew she didn't look that great. And I was a target. I'm not sure why. I guess I arrived after school started. My dad wasn't an officer. It wasn't until grade seven that somebody came to the school in the middle of the school year. And I immediately said to myself, I know what it's like to show up after the school year started. I know what it's like to feel everybody's eyes on you, making fun of you, whispering about you. So I walked up to her and I told her that I was be her friend. They had an honor system. And if you had above a certain score, then you wouldn't have to write your exam. So I offered her my notes and my time and we became friends. When the end of year exams rolled around, neither one of us had to write them. Now we're talking about the 80s. I remember being in her bedroom and dancing to AHA, Take On Me, dressed up like Cindy Lauper and just being goofy. She was not shy. She was very extroverted. I believe she's a model and a lawyer now. She knew what she was going to be. She had a lot of determination and she really helped me be a little bit brave. She was the one who coaxed me out of the bathroom at the junior high dance when my crush was out there and I didn't want to be seen by him. She even convinced him that he should ask me to dance, which to me was terrifying, but I did it anyway. That was just the way she was. You just do it. 
But unfortunately, her family was transferred away. And I never really made any friends after that. I was left on my own until I hit high school. I was an A student and, you know, had a boyfriend and did all that normal stuff. I had a good group of people who supported me and defended me. I just had my small group and we stuck together. And that lasted until I went away to university. I think I'm the only one of the group that actually went to university. And then our paths were just different. I never really kept in contact with them. I had a roommate the first year uh, who I really didn't get along with very well. We we're two, just too different. I stayed up late. She got up early. I liked to party. She didn't. I did make a few friends the first year. I managed to meet some people on campus, meet some people in my dorm. But the second year, I decided I didn't want to be on campus and I had an apartment. And that really was the downfall for me because all my friends were on campus and now I wasn't. We all went our separate ways. I have no idea where any of them are or what any what has happened to any of them. There were some bad times. Girlfriends who stab you in the back and just too much drama. So I just put my head down and I concentrated on my school and going to work. And I just lived. And that was really when I started to get the feeling that I was just so unbearably sad and lonely. It really was a time when I needed some friends. I needed some people to help me not take life so seriously and live a little. But I just didn't have it in me to go out and meet people. Everyone that I'd known had left me or hurt me. So I was convinced that there was no reason to try. There was no reason to approach people because you're just going to get hurt in the end. It was at this point in my life that I decided it was time to talk to someone and I sought out a therapist. Therapy worked. I addressed some of the fears about people and I ended up having a diagnosis of depression and social anxiety. Unfortunately, that diagnosis gave me a reason not to be around people. Everything was, oh, I can't do that. I'm depressed. Oh, I can't do this. I've been diagnosed with social anxiety. I went from having a normal high school life to convincing myself that I had social anxiety and therefore I couldn't be around people because I was medically not able to do it. Things actually got so bad that I ended up deliberately flunking out of university. I knew my parents wouldn't let me quit, so I just basically stopped going. I got put on academic probation and told to take a year off. And from there, I just sort of drifted. That was it, you know? I found myself out on the street and I ended up calling my mom and asking her if I could move back in. And so that started a whole different part of my life where I ended up going back to school and I did graduate with a degree in botany. At that point, I moved to a large city where I knew no one except the boy that I was with. Things were not working out well. He left and I found myself alone in the city with no way to pay my rent and no food in my fridge. I went to the welfare office, did my job searches, got my check every month, managed to pay my rent and my utilities, keep the phone line working. And I did that for about five months until I finally landed a job at a big greenhouse, planting annuals in flats of dirt. <laughs> planting flowers in dirt. That's what I did. That's how I started out. And that was a lonely job. I didn't fit in. Everybody was older. They'd been there for years. I was just the summer hire. And when the season ended, I was laid off. I eventually applied to a landscape company that hired me as a receptionist. I knew nothing about typing. I knew nothing about the landscape industry. 
I had just met some of these people through the garden center and thought that that might be a great place to work. It might be something that I'd be interested in. Background in botany, some greenhouse experience. Why not? And they did hire me. The thing about that job is that I think they believed in me more than I believed in myself. I really pushed that social anxiety crutch and tried to hide, but they wouldn't let me. I guess they saw how happy I was when I was outdoors working with the plants and the flowers. They pushed me to meet with clients and talk about their gardens. To me, this was torture. I would get so upset, I would have stomach cramps and be throwing up. We pulled into the driveway, my hands would be shaking, my knees would be weak. I would get so upset and so worried. My voice would tremble when I was talking. The people that I was put in front of never seemed to notice any of that. I started talking about plants. I started talking about fertilizers and gardening, and they were listening to me. That really improved my confidence level, and I started to get enthusiastic. As I talked more, they listened more, and it was amazing because I left that place feeling like a million dollars. I had taken all of the knowledge that I'd had, and I had talked to somebody, and they'd listened, and they'd asked questions, and they took notes, and I realized that maybe I have something to give the world. Maybe there is a little part of me that shouldn't be so socially anxious. And that lit a fire underneath me. I started therapy again. I started setting small tasks for myself, just going to the grocery store by myself, ordering coffee by myself, getting on a bus by myself, getting on a bus and having somebody sit beside me by myself. Eventually, I worked myself up to riding in the front seat of a cab. It was just small little steps, but it built up my confidence. And at work, I took on more tasks. I started tracking sales leads. I created a training program for new hires. I took the peer mentoring course and became a peer mentor for addictions of alcohol and drugs. I just boosted myself up. Yes, I was taking my medications. If I did go off of them at any point, I'd start to feel awful, so I'd start taking them again. I did that job for five years and I learned a lot about myself. I created myself. I met my husband while I worked there. Eventually, I left that job because I wanted to get more involved with the customers and they wanted me more involved with the staff. I decided I would go back to the company I'd worked for before at the greenhouse and work in their garden center. And again, I was there for five years. I started out just as a plant waterer and I worked myself up to being the manager of one of their garden centers near my home. Summertime was amazing. I was in the greenhouse. I was surrounded by plants. I was watering. I was talking to people about gardening. If somebody asked me a question, I could run around and get all the plants and lay them out and they would buy all the plants and then I'd get the fertilizers and everything they needed to get that garden planted. They just basically had to take it home and put it in the ground following the plans I'd drawn up. From there, I realized I really, really want to learn how to do landscape design. While I was being the manager at the garden center, I started studying landscape design, taking an online course, and eventually got my diploma in horticulture as a landscape designer. My husband and I flew out to Ontario so I could walk across the stage and get my diploma. And it was amazing. It was such a huge success for me. Unfortunately, when I got back and talked to my boss, she had already hired a landscape designer and basically told me that I was good at what I did and that's where she wanted me. And it just wasn't where I wanted to be. 
I worked so many hours for so long, more and more responsibilities. It was just too much. And eventually I just snapped and I screamed and yelled at her on the phone and I quit and I hung up. That was pretty much the end of it. You know, I went on vacation. When I came back, that job was over. So I found myself going into winter and winter was always an issue for me. When I worked at a garden center, you work your butt off spring to fall. And in the winter, you are unemployed. So I spent a lot of time being depressed in the winter and really happy in the summer. Winter time was always a challenge. I don't know how my husband survived. We've been married 20 years this August and he's still here. I got a job as a landscaper, which eventually led to a position as a head gardener. I had properties that won awards and I loved what I did. I had customers, I had regular clients. I get little Christmas bonuses from some of them. And again, I would be laid off in the wintertime. The therapist I had at the time was invaluable to me because they taught me that I had a disorder and I needed to take medication for it. If you were a diabetic, you would have to take insulin. So as somebody who suffers from a chemical imbalance in your brain, if you have medication that sorts out that chemical imbalance and takes it away, then you should be taking that medication for the rest of your life. At that point in my life, I was suddenly realizing that it's okay to be depressed. I'd overcome my social anxiety because I just pushed myself past it and trained myself not to be so afraid. But don't get me wrong, I still had all those self-doubts. I still had that voice in my head that said, Rochelle, you're just not good enough. Rochelle, you'll never be the perfect wife. You'll never be a confident landscape designer. You will always be struggling. You will always fail. It just seemed like no matter how much I pushed myself, I couldn't get rid of those voices. I couldn't believe in myself. My husband could see it. It was that classic, I wish you could see yourself the way I see you syndrome. He believed in me. He knew I could do all these things, but I doubted everything. This was the point in my life where I finally realized that this was my life. This was who I was going to be. I threw myself into my gardening. I threw myself into design work. I threw myself into working 75, 80 hours a week, six days a week. And eventually I broke my body. And that's the only way I could say it is one day I just couldn't do it anymore. Luckily, one of the people in the office was leaving and I was offered the job of office manager. So I ended up sitting behind a desk for another five years. Unfortunately, I didn't have a very good boss. I was having to lie to people. I was having to make up stories and I just didn't feel comfortable doing that. I felt like if I stayed there, I would most certainly end up in hell. My father had been sick and when he passed away, my boss just put too much pressure on me and I snapped. I was like, that's it, I'm done. Here's my letter. I quit. And I walked away. I walked away from a job that I'd been doing for nine years and I love. And to be honest, since that time, I really haven't found my confidence. I've been struggling to find that sense of pride that I had back then where I would look at a job that I'd completed and be so amazed that I could do that. I don't know if you understand what it's like to be so self-defeated and so down on yourself that you are totally floored when you realize you did something good. You did a good job. You made something beautiful. And gardening gave myself a sense of purpose. I got my degree in landscape design. 
while I worked out in the field, I studied and I did the practical test to become a certified landscape technician. Everything that I set my goals on, I accomplished. I've had a couple of other jobs since then, but none of them have had that desire and that fulfillment and that passion that gardening gave me. And it makes me want to cry right now that I don't have that anymore. So you'll have to forgive my sniffles and my tears and just bear with me for a second. Because I never really knew that. I never really understood how much gardening meant to me until just this moment. (sighs) Now, since I didn't have a job, I threw myself into my yard. I have a beautiful yard now, but it's finished. There's not much to do now, except sit back and enjoy it, and I feel lost. I need something else. I need something more. In my struggle to find some direction, I ended up stumbling across a post on Facebook about doing what your heart wants you to do, doing what you're truly meant to do. And I knew that I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing anything. I was just poking around at things that I hoped would be the right fit for me, and they weren't. They never worked out. I ended up on unemployment, pandemic hit, and life just kind of stopped. That post became a new hope for me. I joined a group of people who turned out to be the best group of people that I've known. I've found friends in that group that have supported me and shown me that I don't have anything to be ashamed of. I am a beautiful person, I'm a strong person, and I'm loved. And that's been an integral part of the creation of this podcast. The person that I was before, the person who had all those social anxieties, was afraid to pick up the phone and order a pizza, is gone. I remember her. I know how she felt. Every now and then she tries to assert herself a little bit, but that's not who I am anymore. I'm a stronger person. I believe in myself. And this group really helped me determine who I was. The whole point of the group was to find your heart's calling and make money doing it. I have to admit, I haven't made any money doing it, but I have discovered myself. I have discovered my strength. I learned that I've been coasting through life with my foot resting right above that brake pedal, just waiting for something to go wrong so I could just slam on the brakes and just stop and say, nope, can't do it. These people made me realize that I have my foot over the wrong pedal. I need to have my foot on that gas. I need to be moving forward. I never had the strength to push the gas pedal because I thought maybe if I pushed the gas pedal, there wouldn't be any fuel in the tank. And there wasn't, but there is now. These people have really changed my life. I originally wanted to create a podcast about nifty plant knowledge. (laughs) That was my goal. It never came to fruition. My Instagram has actually become my outlet for my garden passion. I do a lot of posts on gardening, interesting plant facts, and different indoor-outdoor things. I talk about different things you can do to reduce your impact on the environment, reduce household waste, that kind of thing. It wasn't until I talked to my pod that I realized that maybe it is seasonal affective disorder. That's my true calling, to help people realize that they're not alone. And that's where I am now. That's, that's why you're listening to this, because I found my brave and I'm here. I'm telling you my story because I want you to get to know me. I want you to understand that I've had all the feelings that you've had. Over the years, I've realized that we need to focus on the achievements, not the expectations that we have in life. We're always going to focus on the negative 
Our brain is naturally wired to seek pleasure and run from pain, and we're going to look for that pain, and we're going to figure out a way to get away from it. We're just not programmed to be positive, but we can create positivity in our lives. We can make a conscious effort to ensure that everything we do in our lives is positive. Sometimes all it takes is looking at things from a different perspective. My husband was telling me one day about being in the office and having people complain about the boss and complain about the hours and complain about the mess in the lunchroom. And I was like, what if one day you all decided to just talk about the things that you do like about your job? Talk about the camaraderie, talk about the laughs you have, talk about the softball game that the company has, whatever it is. What if you didn't focus on the negative? How would that change the office for that day? And when you really stop and think about it, it would be huge. It really would. Why do we always have to focus on the bad stuff? Why can't we appreciate the things that we have? I've really make an effort to do that. When people start complaining or finding excuses, I'm always the one who says yes, but it could always be worse. I have learned over the years that positivity is up to you. If you want a good life, if you want a happy life, nobody's going to do it for you. You might think that money buys happiness. Maybe it does for you. In that case, get off your butt and make some money and then you'll be happy. For somebody like me who is not a person who focuses on things, I believe that positivity begins with us, within us. If we focus on the positive and we focus on the things that bring joy to the world and to our lives, then we're going to create an aura of positivity and people are drawn to that. They're seeking pleasure, avoiding pain. They'll want to be with you. My group has taught me that the more you focus on the positive, the more you attract positivity, the more you attract the good things. And that's why this podcast is so important to me. I've been through a lot of things over the years. I've been through a lot of experiences, been good and bad, but they've all made me who I am today. And I'm proud of who I am today. Of course, I'd love to be doing something with my gardening and something will come of that eventually. But right now, I'm focusing on this podcast because I want people to know that they're not alone, that they're not strange, that they're not weird. People have all kinds of emotions. Look where I've come from being a kid on a playground to sitting here in tears. But I'm being honest and I'm being so very raw with my feelings right now. And I hope you understand and maybe resonate a little with the things that I have talked about today. I could go on, but I'm not going to. You understand the things that I've been through and how I've gotten where I am today. You know me a little bit better now. And I'm hoping that you'll continue to tune in, that you'll continue to believe in yourself, that you'll continue to focus on the positive. And if you do have a bad day and you find yourself feeling down and just wanting to reach out to somebody, feel free to reach out to me, to send me a message, and let me know. Because you don't have to be sad by yourself. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram, at Rochelle Gregg, or on Facebook at Rochelle Gregg. Thanks again, and I hope to see you next time.